Welcome to episode 668 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 668 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I am very good, Bevan. Yourself? Oh, man, I'm top of the world. Fantastic. Now, I, I, just before we were talking then, and I think we need to redefine how you see busy, because you hate the word busy. Oh, I've got to get this. I should get this email that Murray sent me through. Um, it, I def- when people say me to say I'm always busy, it's often, I, I, I get it, you've got lots on, but often it's defined as a, a success status. You know, how you doing? Are you, are you busy? It's like, people start their questions, are you really busy? Ask questions, are you busy? You're busy? You're busy? Yep. And if you're not busy, you're not successful. That's what pisses me off about it. Okay. Because yeah. I, I, I right now have too much to do and not enough time. So is that busy? You've just got to, you've, got, you've, prior, got to, you've chosen to prioritise your time into doing a lot of work. You could cho- you could have chosen. No, it's because I'm going on holiday, but it yes. still makes me busy. Yeah, you got a lot on. You got a lot <laughs> on, Bevan. <laughs> I talk is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance, Galactic Buffer, and our patrons. Let's name a few, Jumbo. Gear Ola Johansson, Golden Shoes. I got Richard. Oh, sorry, uh, Grant, the King of Swing, Richards, and another king here, Michael, the King of the Castle, Morpeth, who he was up in. Uh, Kiteri Terry at Christmas time. Oh, you mentioned uh, him at the time, I remember that. He was just getting onto the boat with his family. Okay, this week's show's a little bit different now. Basically, over the next five weeks, is it? At least, yeah. yeah. Next five weeks, we've pre-recorded all the show, we've done all the work, because John's away for two weeks, I'm going to be away for three weeks, it kind of worked out unperfectly, unperfectly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, we're going to be doing lots of, and we've got some great interviews coming up, we've got some good interviews today, we've got Macker on the God of the 90s, we've got Andrew Messick coming up, and that's a pretty good interview as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've got just lots of good interviews coming up in the next period of time, so... That's going to be happening, but today we've got two interviews. Uh, first of all, I got on with the Pierce brothers, uh, the, the boys who are, you know... Racing, they, they did Kona, Kona yeah. did they, they didn't finish Kona, but they have finished Ironmans? No, or was sure it finished Kona. Okay, there was, I, I remember seeing a clip of them somewhere no, they, they did didn't make the cut-off. Yep, yep. Okay. Yep, maybe they tried before, but yeah, because they're just Sorry. releasing a book. Um, so I did an interview with them a few weeks ago. Amazing, amazing stuff. And then John interviewed Langer a few weeks ago as well. Yes, and uh, the, the sound quality is not great, so but hang on in there if you can. Persevere. <laughs> okay, so we've also got a little bit of news, but we have got a couple of little bit of news. Challenge Championship, the third year in a row, is happening. It's going to be streamed live by the Challenge Family website. John, what's going to happen? Well, I can tell you, Lionel Sanders isn't going to win it, and he's uh, taken it out the first two editions and a couple of fantastic races. So yeah, the one with Ray, um, last year he ran a one ten. How do you run a one ten with technique like that? It just yeah. boggles my mind. Um, and love the guy; I think he's fantastic. I just do not understand how you can move that quick when you don't look like you're moving that quick. Anyway. Awesome performance last year uh, with a 110 uh, when he ran down Sebastian Keenlay and Florian Angert was in third. Uh, on the female side uh, last year, we had uh, Lucy Charles take it out in front of uh, Anne Haug and Radka Vidakova. And then the prior year, and so the thing, that the differentiating thing with the, the Challenge Championship is it's at the same venue each year. So it's in uh, Samorin in Slovakia. Looks like a cool venue, purpose built, sort of multi discipline 
Brooklyn facility with horse racing, lots of Olympic sports, and and now triathlon as well. Uh, and by all accounts, great event. Uh, then the year before, again we had uh, Lionel Sanders taking it out in front of Sebastian Kenley with Michael Raylert in third and Andreas Dreitz in fourth. Uh, the female side of things, we had. Lucy Charles taking it out in front of Annabelle Luxford and Heather Wirtle. So, look, the race is drawing a really strong field. It's one rung below, I guess, the 70.3 worlds, but it's on par with anything else you're going to find in, the, the, in the world. It, I don't know, but I think it's pretty reasonable. What do they have to do to make it on par? I think you just have to throw money at it. That's the only way it's going to. Yeah, but we've seen some races where they've thrown a lot of money at them. Well, if you throw enough, you know, you, th- you think the, the, the race they did in, was it Dubai, wherever they did that um, I mean, night I mean, race, yeah. uh, wherever they did that, they threw a lot of money, a million bucks at that, that got a very deep field. So I think it's just simply a case of money because the prestige is not there, you know, you're, you're not a world champion as such. Uh, so I think it is really just a case of throwing an absolute bucket of money and that's the only way they'll they'll get the, the real big kahunas mm. um, it's a good field it's a really strong oh, field yeah and, and so this year's field um you've got skipper you've got cam worth you've got a bowden you've got o'donnell keenlay dreitz and the thing is it's always going to take the shine off a championship race like this is if you don't have those absolute rock stars so there's no fredino there's no gomez no sanders unfortunately this year and no brownlee and when you take those guys away even if you've got everybody else, the best athletes in the world, it's just going to take that little bit of shine off it. Yep. Uh, equally on the, f- the female side, we've got a great field, um, just no reef. And when you take reef out of it, you go, you won it, but you're not the best in the world, really. Yeah. Uh, so you've got Lucy Charles, who's second best in the world consistently. Uh, Anne Haug, who was third last year in Kona, uh, I, th- I think. I think. Uh, Carter Felt, um, Miranda Carfrae's down, Emma Plant, uh, so high quality fields uh, and you'd say probably you know second or third uh, strongest fields for a half distance race in the world so go your good thing and hope the age group race goes well as well and hopefully it's a great race because we have had a couple of cool races here haven't we mm, so we good to see some good pro racing John uh, you're doing your camp you've got camp what do you call this camp 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 uh, Epic Camp Light. Epic Camp Kona. Light. Yep, Camp it's light. it's light. The second half of the week's light. The first half of the week is not light. So today is Tuesday in New Zealand. It's Monday over there. So we we, we kicked off on uh, Saturday. We did a, uh, we did this great swim across to Captain Cook's Monument, 4K there and back. Uh, we had a bit of a bike and is that and where run John Lee Hancock got lost? It was indeed. Yeah. Hancock sharpen up. It's uh, several. We've lost a few people there actually. <laughs> We're only two. No, three. That's uh, <laughs> quite a lot. Three. John Hancock. Because he decided to to delve into the, the the condo and found a pair of fins and uh, snorkel and mask. He goes, I think I'll do this swim with these things on. And uh, he disappeared. We couldn't oh, see him. I don't know where he ended up. And then one year we also had Simon Simon Early. Uh, he turned up late. Uh, <laughs> you get it? Early? Oh, uh, okay, sorry. Uh, anyway, he was swimming back. It's really really hard to sight the beach that you're at. We've improved our health and safety now. We have two kayaks out there since these yep. incidents. <laughs> and. Uh, and it's really, you've got to know, right, aim for that roof there on the way back and you'll be fine. But if you don't, he ended up swimming around this point and ended up walking along and we're going, where is he? And he turned up later on. But Dave, Dave Dwan, and he went AWOL in the kayak. And uh, he went, what's all that about? 
that he, he missed again. He missed a turning for where you come back in, come back in yeah. and he was like he was off to bloody Fiji. Bloody hell, that was. Uh, I think you told me that because he went right into next bay, didn't he? <laughs> didn't he catch a car ride back? He <laughs> sharp was, it up, Dave. <laughs> uh, so day day one swim bike run. Day two this year, Bevan. This is we will have done this. I'm determined not to blow up on the stride. We bike the Ironman course on day 180. two. It was one ninety from where we start. I think one ninety two. You're not heat adapted fully. Uh, my God, you often get to Harvey and you're thinking, I'm okay here, I'm okay here. Get back to the Queen K and you just, the island just kicks your ass. So I'm hoping this year that I'm going to be sensible on the way out and have a good strong uh, ride on the way back. Day three, which is today, we run, uh, got the energy lab, running from the energy lab, which you kind of got to do. But when you're running along the Queen K, there's quite a bit of traffic. Not the most scenic run, but one of those things you've got to do. And this year, on day four, we get to return to our volcano ride, which is equally just an epic big ride because you start at sea level, you climb up um, to a pretty decent level, I'm, I'm guessing probably about 500 metres or so, and then you drop back down to sea level, and then you've got to climb up to volcano, which is over a 1,000 metres elevation. You have like this 40 to 50 kilometre climb at the end of the ride. Wow. Uh, not steep or anything, but just grinding away for friggin' ages a couple of hours uh but it's a great ride and then we carry on from there sort of tapering into the race and uh kind of 70.3 this weekend my, my prediction is you're gonna win it there we go I'm gonna give fun. it a crack but uh i'm confident in my shape but i'm um, don't know too much about the opposition okay john let's talk about our sponsor we've got x endurance your lactic buffer you want to talk about amiga plus d3 plus d3 We've got two products in one. It's got a hundred, uh, no thousand, not a hundred, a thousand milligrams of EPA slash DHA omega three fatty acids in triglyceride form. If you read all your research, you know how good all that omega stuff is for you. It's got five, no four thousand international units of vitamin D. It promotes heart, brain, and joint mobility and improves bone health and maintenance only $34.95 to get yourself a pack so get in there as with all the X Endurance products if you haven't tried them out before it's not like they're going to bust your bank for years on end uh, just to give them a try and once you try uh, you'll, I'm sure you're going to be convinced of their good so check it out xendurance.com uh, or you've got the European sites or you can get uh, the immune or extreme endurance through me here in New Zealand for Kiwis and Aussies and if you're in the States you want to get a discount join up to their team XND and you get some fantastic discount rates if you're ordering regularly well worth your while so check it out xendurance.com and just one other thing John when you're on their website you can add to cart but you can also go into auto ship so let's say you know you're going to get joint I'm um, sorry Amiga plus D3 every kind of couple months you just get it auto shipped it's just going to turn up at your doorstep you don't have to go and go through the process of reordering all the times so it makes it gets you into routine yeah. turns up you know you're going to get it just crank on it. You can't. You know, you're not off it for a few weeks. Just keeps you in your routine. Okay, John. I did an interview with the Pierce Brothers a few weeks ago. It's a pretty good interview. I think you guys are going to enjoy this. So here are the Pierce Brothers. Radio team. I'm pretty excited to have two pretty inspirational men on the show today, Brett and Kyle Pierce. They uh, have got a book coming out really soon. They've been a bit of an inspiration to a lot of people in our triathlon world, not just in the triathlon world, but in many aspects of our society. Uh, welcome along to the show, boys. Thank you so much for having us. So, so let's let's start at the start. You know, maybe take us back to, you know, just your your journey up to the beginning of triathlon, and maybe for each individual. Yeah. So uh, I grew up with cerebral palsy, and uh, my mom and dad um, 
always included me in every activity that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and sports was a big uh, packing of what we did. And um, so we get um, we get to love sports and uh, and what they do. The late 2000, the early 2010s that, that I got introduced to um, the Ironman um, triathlon competitions. Were you, were you able to play sports as a young person? Like, with cerebral palsy, obviously there are limits, but were, were you ever, like, I'm sure you kind of participated in, like, supporting people, but what sports were you able to do before you got into triathlon, and, or were you even able to? Yeah, so, uh, so I, um, I played a, a lot of adaptive sports, like wheelchair baseball and uh, wheelchair hockey and track and field and um, a whole bunch of sports. Um, my mom and dad really never took no for an answer. So sports was my passion and and I was always um, the first one to bat in baseball and I was always a leader, but it always had um, a wheelchair in front of it. Um, so we had to play with different rules and all that. So. It wasn't until me and Brett discovered um, the world of triathlons that we were both on the easy playing field. Mm. Can I ask Kyle, um, how important was sport? You know, because you, 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 you only know one life, but how important was sport with your kind of your disability? How important was it as a sense of kind of personal um, challenge, personal acceptance, and all those types types of things. How important was it for you at that time? Yeah, I think um, sports was kind of an outlet for me. Um, you know, to forget about whatever uh, whatever challenges I was going through. Sports was always that vehicle for me to you know show the show myself that I could do anything I put my mind to. So sports was an excellent um, outlet for me. Mm. So, Brett, tell me a little bit about your kind of journey. Um, well, you know, I think uh, Kyle kind of hit on it. I mean, we grew up we grew up in a sports house. We, uh, we grew up on SportsCenter uh, <laughs> more so than anything else. So we were, you know, we were watching the highlights just like any other kids our age. And then we'd, you know, go out in the backyard and, um, you know, we kind of always make up some rules so Kyle could be a part of it with us. And that was the fun. Mm-hmm. Um, something that we didn't realize then that I think we look back on and see now is that we were having to change those rules or we we're having to do things ever so slightly. And we've even talked about it today that, you know, Kyle played wheelchair baseball or wheelchair basketball, but we always had to call it wheelchair something. We couldn't just call it an Ironman triathlon, mm-hmm. um, which is what he does now. And so, um, you know, I grew up a, a swimmer. Um, I was on a football team, American football. I wasn't, uh, I was on the sidelines with Kyle. We joke that, uh, I didn't see much of the playing field, but, um, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily a bad athlete or anything, but, uh, swimming was what I, I probably was the most proficient in. And then I went to college and spent most of my time at McDonald's or at the bars and, put on a good bit of weight. And, uh, you know, sometime after college, I just, it kind of, something kicked in me to get moving. 
and just running was boring. Um, but somehow buying a bike and swimming and biking and running seemed exciting to me. And that's, that's what really got it going for me. And I just kind of moved up the ladder. I started with the, the small sprints, the local sprints, and then, you know, over the course of three years built up to an Ironman. And, you know, that's really where the journey for us began, um, was Kyle coming along with me and, and witnessing that first part of my journey, um, which really became the first part of the, the collective P's journey. And so you get into the sport. Um, can you just tell us on a personal level at that stage when it was just kind of you by yourself, how did that transform your life? Uh, it was, I mean, it was life changing for me. You know, I was, I, I felt like I was getting a little bit out of control in terms of the way that I was um, having fun partying and, um, you know, my, my after work hours was again, usually, um, you know, from bar to bar. And so I, you know, I felt like I was just getting a little bit out of control. And so for me, it was a way to kind of start to bring that back in and, and bring me back to center. Really. I mean, I was for the most part, I was a pretty good kid growing up. I didn't get in too much trouble. Um, no more so than the, than the normal guy. Um, and, and it just helped me kind of recenter what I was trying to do and refocus and, um, you know, brought me back closer with Kyle. Um, we weren't not close, but it was hard for us to, you know, to interact and, and be close together when I was um, too hungover or, or too drunk to be around. So um, not to not to overstate it, but I mean, that's just th- that was just for me. It was just this life altering experience. And now looking back on it eight years later, I mean, there's, you know, my my work is tied to this, my passion, my life, my weekend enjoyment. I mean, everything is all wrapped up in one nice, neat little bow for, for me to share with Kyle and for so many more. And then at this stage, Kyle, were you doing any kind of endurance sport or was it more watching your brother? You thought it planted a seed that maybe you could work together. Like tell us a little bit about how you got into it. Yeah, it was until uh, 2010. I knew that Brett was uh, getting involved in uh, triathlon, but I had no idea um, that it was going to get to this point. So uh, the first event that I went to was actually Brett's first triathlon, first Ironman in 2010. And he invited the whole family to come up to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and now we get enthralled by, by not only what Brett did, but by all the other athletes giving it their all. And it really... It really resonated with me because I looked at at the sport and I'm like, wow, that's that's my life. You go through so many ups and downs, and um, I just remember that I wanted to to be a part of that, and I didn't know how that worked or anything. But after we completed the race, we sat down. Um, dinner, we, I just started asking him a lot of questions, and my last question was, get people in wheelchair through Iron Man. Wow. Wow. And, and, and it's time to, obviously, everyone, you, you know, you, you, you are aligned to the Hoyts because they are kind of the, the people who kind of opened the door to this in many ways. Did you guys know of the Hoyts at this time? We did, and, and you know, the, the it's one of those things that in, in – in our youth of growing up, when the Hoyts were, you know, Kyle was born in 1985, I was born in 1983, so their first Ironman, you know, we were spring chickens. Yeah. Um, but, you know, by the time we were teenagers, they certainly had gotten 
you know, big coverage on some of the things, but because there wasn't this massive um, internet uh, machine that we all see now, it was one of those things that we saw, we were motivated, but it, it didn't necessarily flip the switch right then for us. Mm. Um, but when we did, when Kyle, you know, wanted to inquire, wanted to figure out how to do an Ironman himself, the first people that we looked out for and reached out to was the, was the Hoyts. Um, so I sent them an email back in 2011 saying, you know, here's our situation. This is my brother. Um, we don't know where to start. What do we do? And, you know, they came back to us with a big long list of here's all the things that we've used over the years. And, you know, that was kind of how we figured out how to get started. And, and, you know, because of what they had inspired others to do, um, you know, there was just um, there was a, a wealth of information that we could locate and, and figure out how to get started in this ourselves. I think, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I think uh, they can it have really paved the way oh, um, yeah. for not only me, Brett, but so many others for the sport to bring inclusion um, into the fold and. Um, we would not be having this conversation if it would not be for the Hoyts. Yeah. Um, so they should be. So, so Brett and I really tip our hats to them, and uh, um, we look forward to racing with them one day. Yeah. We've interviewed them in the past a couple of times, and, um, you know, the thing that they paved the way for is obviously the, t the training, the technology and stuff mm -hmm. like that, but I remember them saying that, they, 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 people thought he was an abusive father, like you know, and people didn't accept them at first. They opened the doors as kind of concept <coughs> that this is a good thing for people with disability to actually get into sport. It was quite powerful, really. Um, so, so okay, so you kind of you, you, you go to see your race, you watch your brother race, Kyle. You see it as a metaphor for life. You kind of think maybe I can do this. You get a bit of advice from some legends in the game, but how do you actually start? Um. You, you, you guys get started by um, he's looking at me because I because I went out and just <laughs> grabbed all the put my hands on as much equipment and yeah. and you know and well the first thing we bought was really an adult stroller which um, the foundation that we have utilizes a lot of those the Hoyts Foundation utilize they're you know they're built for people up to 250 pounds um, Apologize for not being able to convert that to the metric there. Well, it's about but, 100 kg because uh, it's about 220 for it. Yeah, so it's about 100 okay, kg. Okay, yep. Okay, so about 100 kg. And so um, we, uh, it, it was perfect for us because it was cheap uh, relative to what these chairs can cost. And we could get our hands on one, you know, pretty quickly. So, you know, we got that and it showed up and we signed up for a 10K and we still. Uh, laugh because Kyle showed up in his work uniform. He was work. He was working at a local grocer and uh, showed up with his dress slacks and <laughs> green vest on. And you know, so it's funny though if you think about those those first local tries that I went to. You know, I just I grabbed stuff off the rack and yeah. bought the cheapest stuff that they had at the bike shop because I just wanted to do the sport. You weren't worried about which Oakleys you had or which you know which fancy shoes you were wearing. And so that I mean that first race we we joke about it. But Kyle showed up just like anybody else. Like his normal Saturday used to just be he always had to wear those same slacks. And now, you know, he's got his fancy running shoes and his nice Lycra. And, you know, he's all decked out just like everybody else. I mean, he looked – in Kona, he looked every bit the part of a triathlete. And so, I mean, that's how we got started. We just grabbed the stuff and we signed up for the first race we could. And, you know, we we hit the ground rolling. And, and from there, you know, then we really had to start figuring it out. I mean – 
you know, the Hoyts essentially built their first bike in a garage. You know, we found a company in Winnipeg, Canada that helped us. They, they built bikes for people with disabilities just to be active. Okay. They helped us uh, manufacture something that was really built for triathlon. Um, and we've even modified that bike several times over the last eight years, um, to build the bike that we had in Kona. But, um, you know, that was just it. We just started kind of finding people. I think one of the best things we did is Kyle had an outdoor professor when he was in college. He, he taught an outdoors course mm-hmm. and he looked at the boy, the boat, excuse me, the boat, the Hoyts used and said, there's no way you guys will ever do an Ironman with something that big and heavy. And, and, and to this day, I'm, I'm still beyond impressed that Dick pulled that big Boston whaler boat that he did. Yeah. Um, but we ended up with an inflatable kayak that if you look around now at some of the other teams doing what we do, many of them use that same boat because it's this lightweight kayak that is built to cut through the water and it's built to sit on oceans and lakes and rivers. And it's not this, you know, big, heavy fishing boat, you know, inflatable fishing boat. So, you know, it, it took us the better part of like probably six months to kind of amass all this equipment, um, which set us up for, you know, the first triathlon. And, and then we did what everybody else did. We kept training together and kept training and modifying the equipment and making changes. And that was, you know, that's as much fun as we've had throughout this entire thing is doing that stuff together, figuring out those things. What were some of the biggest lessons and hurdles that you had to overcome or learn in that kind of first stage? How, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, I, I think the, I think the biggest lessons, uh, the easy, the easy ones were for Kyle was that he, you know, he had to be an athlete too. Mm -hmm. You know, we still talk about it. We, we had to flip a boat to throw Kyle into the water so that we could show up and, and know what, what were we going to do if the boat flipped? Our first Mm -hmm. triathlon was in an ocean, you know, the last one we did was in an ocean. What, what's the plan there? And so teaching Kyle, a man with, you know, cerebral palsy with spastic quadriplegia, um, what he has to do and what we have all have to do as a team, teaching him, to sit on a bike, you know, that he, he'd sat in trailers like any kid, um, but he'd never sat on a bicycle, you know, teaching him how to eat and drink during a race. I mean, everything was a hurdle and everything was this new, exciting thing for both of us. I think that's why it was so life-changing for me is that everything was this new challenge um, and, and for Kyle too. And we experienced a lot of that together. Um, it certainly was hard educating race directors that hadn't heard of the Hoyts or that weren't familiar with that. But um, I think the biggest hurdles were just the personal physical challenges that we had to educate each other on and relearn. We knew how to help Kyle go to the bathroom. We knew how to help Kyle get dressed in the morning. We didn't know how to help Kyle get through, you know, 25 miles on a bike, 112 miles on a bike. I did, uh, I did, I did, but I nailed it on the head. Um, I had to learn how to be an athlete and uh, get, you know, understanding what T1 and T2 is and how to, you know, keep up with my nutrition and all that. Uh, you know, I guess because I'm not doing the physical uh, activity, it takes a whole lot out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I got run up by AT wheel uh, every time I do Ironman. Mm-hmm. And I, I, get, I get to love it because it... It it stresses my body to um to what everybody else does. You know, when you when you exercise, uh, the next day you get you know you feel a little sore. 
Um, and that's what I feel when I do the late So get giddy, giddy um, a, a knowledge of what the sport is, and what it is about, and how I um, how I enjoy it so much. Kyle, when you first learned those things, like you know, falling out of a boat into a water, was that scary? Um, yeah, um, of course. Uh, we, but when you fall out of a, a boat, you gotta find a way to get back in. And that's when I had Fred and um, my friends to help me get back in. But, of course, the first time, um, it's scary. And if you ask my mom, it was even scarier yeah. for her. Um, but I think um, the more you do it, the more braver you become. And the more, um, the more you get used to the process. You, you know, up, up to this point, you've done an Ironman, you've been kind of on your own athletic journey, it's been kind of transformational, it realigned you as a person, and, and then your brother comes along and says, we want to do this thing, you do some research. How did, how did it change your training and your body? Because, you know, like, think about you as you are pushing, you know, it, it's a different to if you were doing it by yourself. So, like, physiologically, what's the journey been like for you? Um... You know, if, if you look at that first Ironman that I did, you know, I still look like a little bit of the college guy, um, a little bit round in the middle and, um, you know, could barely push, you know, um, 100 watts on a bike. But, um, I mean, yeah, physiologically, I've turned into, you know, a much leaner, um, uh, just more aerobically fit machine um, than I've ever been. I mean, I'm more fit today than I've ever been in probably my entire life. Um, even, you know, more so as than when I was a, you know, high school teenager, but, um, yeah, I mean, I've really, I've, I've changed, uh, quite a bit, um, physically and physiologically as I've gone through this. Um, and really the first couple of years, I always tried to kind of maintain a little bit for myself that, you know, I was going to do one solo race or I was going to do one little thing. So there was, you know, kind of the added, um, bonus of training, but it's, it's now it's just running this thing where the, you know, the part that I do get for myself, I, I, I enjoy sharing with Kyle just as much. Mm. What about you, Kyle? You know, like physically, because, you know, like for you, it is a different kind of day, but it's also so demanding, as you just said. So how, do you, how did you go about preparing for that? Um, that's a great question. You know, it, it took... I really had to focus on... on, on um, what I was doing and making sure that I was uh, prepared mentally and physically, um, just making sure that, you know, I felt comfortable um, in the boat and in the bike. And if I did not feel comfortable, I had to let somebody know. So it was it was more so get, getting myself prepared for um for a competition. I mean, that was the big thing is that we wanted to throw Kyle through all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And in the early days, it just meant signing up for lots of races because it was easier to get help with all the equipment if we sure. were just doing a race. Um, but then it became more once we, you know, once what we were doing grew, we had a little bit more ability to get different places where we live. We've got to pretty much drive somewhere to ride a bike. 
Um, but now Kyle and I go on bike rides together. So, you know, it was always really making sure he was trained for it. And, and if you want to talk about transformation, so the first time we flipped the boat, Kyle went face in the water, kind of thrashed around. We grabbed him and we figured we had 20 to 30 seconds in the event of some type of emergency. Like, hey, if, if, and I remember that first race we did, I kept turning around, you know, over and over. I couldn't even swim without stopping. Um, and before Kona, we said, hey, you know, we haven't flipped the boat in a long time. Let's do it one more time. This is the Pacific Ocean. Let's make sure everything's good. And we flipped Kyle in the boat. And before we could grab him, he had rolled himself over onto his back. Wow. And, and so to see that transformation from him and to understand how much that training got him ready um, gave us this huge level of confidence. Um, and it was fun for me as a brother to be like, look at, look at this guy. He's a machine now. He's, he's as fit as anybody. Well, and I mentioned for you as well, Brent, that it's, um, you know, that allows you to trust a lot more in the race. Whereas that first race, there was this kind of insecurity of what if. Whereas now, like, sure, you still need to be at a level of risks prevention that you have to have but now you can actually have more of just focus on you guys having a good performance than the concern of the safety absolutely absolutely mm. um so brent you know just for you and with your training how is it different to a typical ironman's um you know it, it, it's it's changed over the years and i and i get that you know I, people are curious on that a lot I mean, I think one thing that I certainly do is I do a lot of over distance training, uh, you know, so like for Kona, I was doing, you know, 120, 100, and I think 25 was the longest I went 125. Um, but in the past I've done 130, 150, just doing a lot of extra volume. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, uh, Matthew Rose who coaches us here in Atlanta, you know, what we kind of learned early on is you know, like I swam with a bucket, you know, pulling a five gallon painter's bucket. I did all this extra weight training. You know, I even considered running with a weighted vest. I mean, we'd seen videos of the Hoyts biking with 50 pound bags of concrete. And, you know, we kind of learned early on that, it, you know, the toll that that was going to take on me, you know, we, we wanted to do this for a long time, you know, is from the very first race, we knew that we had hit, we had hit on something we didn't discover as kids. And so we said, this is going to be something we're going to do as long as our bodies can handle it. And so it, it, it didn't, you know, become this, I've got to do 20% more. I've got to lift this much more. I mean, I think my weight, my weightlifting program certainly goes on longer in the year than maybe what you might see on a, t on a typical program, uh, for your age group athlete. Um, but a lot of it's really just built around doing a little bit of extra volume, um, to kind of get ready for, you know, what's going to be at least an eight hour day on the bike, what's going to be at least a four, four and a half hour marathon for us. Um, you know, what's going to be typically, you know, 10, 15, 20% more time in the water. So, you know, that's typically what, what we've done a little bit differently, but uh, you know, I think the biggest thing, which this works for everybody, right. Is just being consistent that for the last seven years, this is what both of us have really worked at, you know, day in and day out. Kyle, um, how does it work with the relationship between you two? Because I imagine, you know, the thing about this journey is I'm, I'm sure there's just so much good, you know, and for yourselves, for the relationship between you, um, before what you're doing to the world and, you know, the impact you're having. Um, but also you, you're doing something that's highly stressful, high fatigue. Um, I, I know Ironman tends to be more of an individual sport, but I know friends who have done like multi-sports races with team members and they end up not really liking the people at the end of it because of that stress level. So how have you guys learned to navigate that together? I, yeah, I definitely, definitely did that. It brought me a break. 
so much closer. Um, we we uh, we talk every day, um, and uh, you know we still have our brotherly moments of, hey, I want you to go faster, or hey, why don't we do it this way? Yeah. Um. So uh, at the end of the day, we are brothers, but um, we talk all the time. And I think because of this, um, because the Iron Man and triathlon. And what we do with the Kyle B Foundation, I think um, it has brought us so much closer. He's uh, he's he's my best friend, so um, so yeah, we we have a good time together. So Bevan, I would add to that that um, or I would just say I think that actually the part where we might struggle and and kind of. Um, jump at each other a little bit or, or have the, as Kyle put it, the brotherly moments, the not so good kind. It's, it's the stuff that's outside of sport. It's, Mm. you know, uh, planning family trips. It's working together. We, you know, we do a lot of work together. Um, it's learning how to communicate with each other. And Mm. that's the part where we struggle with each other and we get frustrated with one another at times where, you know, we're not doing the things that we expect of each other. But when it comes to sport, it, it goes back to being kids and watching sports center it goes back to being kids and playing in the backyard. Like it's this fun experience that we still get to have at, at 36, 34 years old together. Yeah. And so, you know, any of those like tough moments, maybe in a race or in a training session, we get over it really quickly because we're having such a good time and we're both so present and aware that, Hey, this is a really cool and amazing opportunity where we might really pick at each other. It happens when the bike's, you know, when the bike's not helping bond us together, when we're not sharing a bike yeah. um, and we're having to learn how to share other things, maybe that's when we start to really um, have to work even harder at um, helping each other. I think... Um, you go, 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 keep going. Uh, I get the, that, you know, within the sport, you know, when we first started, Brett would have to coach me on, you know, the different terms and... You know, when they eat and all that, but now it's kind of a spoken language almost where we were, um, where we were in Kona. I knew when to, um, pick Brett up, and Brett knew when to pick me up. So, um, it continues to, um, grow our friendship and our, and as teammates. So, you, so you, at first you were here was your guide, but now you are more of a team. Yeah. Yeah. So, how much do you guys communicate throughout the day? Like, if an Ironman, you know, because you are working as a team, um, how much are you communicating throughout the day? Uh, quite a bit. Uh, although it always, it, you know, it's fun because every race it, it tends to shift a little bit. Who's doing more of what? Uh, in Kona on the bike, Kyle was doing all the heavy lifting in terms of you know, keeping us on focus and keeping us, you know, positive and dealing with, you know, really the harshest race that we've ever dealt with, uh, on, on, on what was a, you know, relatively mild day there. But, uh, you know, we've done other races when we did Ironman Florida, you know, Kyle, it was so cold on the run. Uh, you know, we, I remember, you know, me having to kind of explain and talk Kyle off the ledge that we were going to be okay. And it wasn't, you know, wasn't all that bad. So every race, you know, it changes just a little bit, but there's always this consistent communication. I, I think the one race where we didn't communicate was the, was the New York city marathon. Uh, we did back in 2015 where we had some mechanical issues 
and and that might be the one time we've really gone after each other in a race where we were we we got so negative that the last 5k we didn't say a word to each other <laughs> oh the marathon blues eh um mm-hmm. so tell us about your kona talk, talk me through your kona day and, and kyle you can start uh kona was uh unbelievable i think i it was a dream come true for both of us where we worked so hard for so many years to get into the, to get into this iconic race and then when we got the call on it was really game on and um when we got into Kona I'll never forget I get to go off the airplane and get feeling something totally different. Um you could feel the the spirit of the island and everything that it had to um Provided we went over there a week in advance, um, so we could get used to the elements. Mm-hmm. But that week we by really fast, and all of a sudden it was um, October 13th, uh, 2018. It was game on, and um, and we were ready. So maybe talk about talk us through your race day, Brent. Um, you know, it's uh, I mean. I, as you know, the atmosphere there is just something totally different. And, uh, you know, I, I joked earlier about, you know, being on the sidelines with Kyle, um, you know, not getting on the field that much. And so to be able to be in that environment was something that I'd never experienced as an athlete and the intensity and the motion before the gun went off before the swim, uh, is something that I've never experienced. I mean, you know, um, the good nervous energy, but we were both on just such high alert. And when that gun went off, you know, talking about that first race where I kept turning around to look at Kyle. Um, and then, uh, in this race, just, you know, feeling like the cannon was firing us forward. You know, I never looked back except at the turn buoy and I could hear Kyle the whole time screaming at me. And, uh, I never actually use a watch on the swim, but I, I had my watch on. And when we got out of the water, I, I, I kind of peeked down. I knew it had been a good swim, um, we were expecting to be around an hour 18, an hour 20, somewhere in there. Jesus, and when That's I looked, pretty awesome. that would have been great. I looked down and saw an hour seven Wow! and, uh, I, I don't think you have an explicit rating on your, uh, podcast here. <laughs> so I'll, I won't, I won't repeat what came flying out of my mouth, um, at that moment, but we were fired up, you know, and we were at that, in that moment, we were in the world championships, you know, swimming a one Oh seven with a boat behind you and, yeah. and Kyle, you know, screaming and, you know, pushing me along the whole way. Um, and then, you know, talking about how this thing works and what we go through in our training, our T1 was five minutes, you know, getting a human being that weighs 105 pounds into a, you know, 65 pound bicycle, doing a full wardrobe change for me, you know, to make sure I was in the right, you know, clothing for the bike ride. And to be out of, you know, be out of T1 in five minutes was incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and the bike's the equalizer for us. I mean, so we wanted to have a hard swim. We wanted to be out of T1 as quick as possible because we knew, especially if it was going to be a windy day, we needed as much time possible. Our, I mean, our first Ironman, we were something like two minutes under the bike cutoff. And so we didn't want to leave any, you know, we didn't know if we would ever get another opportunity at Kona. And so you know, our goal and, and the mantra we kept repeating was finish the drill all week. That's what we just kept telling each other. And, you know, so when we took off out of T1, we, you know, did some quick math 
and realized, you know, we had bought ourselves almost an extra 30 minutes. If we needed it, Mm -hmm. we had an extra 30 minutes to get through that day. And that was a huge confidence booster. Um, because you know, the, the, the math equation on the bike is, you know, me plus Kyle and the bike is, you know, 360, 370 pounds of human and steel. And that's a lot. And I don't care who you are. You're still having to push, you know, a lot of weight down the road. Um, and, uh, you know, but then we were on the queen K and then it was like everything we'd seen on TV and on internet and just everything we'd seen watching the race since we became, fans of the sport and Ironman triathletes ourselves, we were in it. And relative to where we started, you know, we saw the pros come back by with the motorcade and the cameras and the helicopters. And you're like, you know, you're looking at, we're looking at each other smiling. Like we can't believe it. Then of course we had to climb up to Hop V. And that's, that was really the hardest part of the bike race for us um, was, was that climb up to Hop V. The wind was actually strong at that point in the day um, compared to what it had been all day. Uh, and you know, we watched the speed drop down as low as four miles per hour at times. Um, I watched my Watts, you know, creep up way above what we said we were going to push and, um, we couldn't do anything. Um, and when we hit that turnaround, Kyle's leg had fallen off the bike. It was getting cut up by the side of the frame. He was starting to bleed a little bit and I was, you know, frustrated and flustered but then you get that reward, right? You know, I mean, you know the course, and you're yeah. you're coming down that stretch there from Javi, and it's just the views are incredible. And I remember screaming out at Kyle to look, and in that instance, he screamed back and he screamed at me to focus. Oh, really? And yeah, but it was great. Like when I like in the moment, I think I was a little like, "Come on, you know, look at this." But I think now looking back, I'm like, you know, you're competing alongside a world champion athlete. Like that guy was dialed in. Mm-hmm. Um, when we hit that final turn, um, from Kauai high back onto the queen K, um, we did the math again and I told Kyle we could go 10 miles an hour and still make the cutoff. Nice. Um, which for me was like a huge relief to know that to Kyle, it was like, Hey man, push the, push the pedals. Let's go. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And, 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 and like we've look, we've done, this was our fourth one and, but never have we had to be alone that long in an Ironman. Mm-hmm. And just by nature of the speed of the race, you know, we were back there with, you know, the, the yeah. guys and girls that are in their seventies and eighties and yeah. were, you know, we had these, Oh, such a strong field, man. I mean, yeah. the field was gone by the time we got to, to the turnaround, the field was gone, you know, okay. so the whole back half of the bike course, we were by ourselves. And mentally, I think that was probably one of the more challenging things that we've done in a race together. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's no, you know, in other races, people can just drive around the course sometimes. Like, you know, those last 40 something miles, we didn't see a soul. Um, you know, we were just, uh, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but I mean, you know, somebody would go by us and say, Hey, and then they were gone in an instant and they disappear. And, um, we saw a couple of friends, uh, in Waikoloa and that was it. Um, you know, but that was, that was what we wanted. That was what we wanted to compete. Um, and we came into T2, uh, and again, it was the same thing as a swim. And when we heard what our bike split was, which was, you know, 821, we couldn't believe how fast we had gone. And what, I mean, what, we just didn't ex- traditionally, what would you do or what were you hoping? To well, do? I think our fastest was Boulder, which was like an 854. Yeah. Oh, 854. Wow. Yeah. The year we did Florida, um, was 2014 and it was 39 degrees uh, Fahrenheit with uh, 40 mile per hour winds. And it just, you know, on a flat course, 
it was our slowest bike ride. I mean, we were just, we got beat up all day long. Um, yeah. So to, to go from where we were thinking and we were in better shape, we had redesigned the bike. Um, if, and if you've seen pictures on the bike, <coughs> excuse me, there's, there's other people that do what we do that do like a toe setup or they do some other type of setup. You know, when we saw pictures of the Hoyts with Rick sitting on front, that became our goal of, you know, how do we give Kyle the full cycling experience? We want him to be a cyclist. We want him to be an Ironman. So that means we're not going to tow him. You know, we're going to put him on the front of the bike. He's the captain. He's in charge. And so maybe we could have done something over the years that might have been a little bit easier on us. But yeah. I don't know that it would have been the same. And I can talk to him the whole time. I can feed him. I can give yeah. him fluids. You know, when he's having trouble like he was um, towards the turnaround, he can tell me. And I know what's going on. You know, it's a true team at that point. So, you know, we came in at 821 and I think we got a little ahead of ourselves and we were like, let's go run a marathon. Like we were just going to click off 26 miles like that. Um, but had you gone too fast? Did, you, did you do the traditional Ironman thing and blow up at the end or did you manage, how'd your run go? Uh, we definitely blew up a little bit on the <laughs> run, but there was, um, there was a lot of factors. Uh, I mean, one, we'd never done a race that hot. Yeah. And we had been out, you know, for over, you know, nine and a half hours at that point. Um, I had a little touch of dehydration just inexplicably after months of practice. I didn't take any electrolytes on the course. Um, I had, I have, I, I mean, I do some of the base salt. I do, um, a little bit of electrolyte mix on my first two bottles, but for whatever reason, I always take Gatorade on the course and I didn't. And, uh, that turned into the runner trots for me. And so at that first aid station, it came apart fast. Um, for me. Uh, and I, I remember sitting in the porta potty and I could hear Kyle talking to the volunteer and she's, he's telling her, give me Gatorade, give me food. He's asking the volunteer to feed them. This volunteer who's never met him, never probably fed somebody in a wheelchair and Kyle's barking orders at her like it's his mom. <laughs> and, uh, I hear the volunteer say, well, is he going to be okay? And Kyle said, I need some Gatorade, please. So it was nice of him to worry about me, but you know, but it was hard for both of us. And Kyle, both of us, every time we've gotten off the bike, if we make that bike cutoff, we know we feel like we're going to make it. Yeah. And, you know, the first, you know, 15K of that run were really difficult for me. You know, it was porta potty to porta potty. It was, you know, light pole to light pole. It was just managing the, the smallest things that we could get our head around. And Kyle was a champ. But when we hit the energy lab, Kyle started coming apart. It was pitch black. It started to rain. He actually got cold. Oh. And he, I, he didn't tell me in the moment, but afterwards he's told me, he told me it was the first time he thought that we were going to ever not finish a race. Wow. I mean, he was, he, he hit, you know, I won't speak too much for him. I'll let him tell you about it, but I mean, he hit his mental edge and, you know, we just both kind of talked each other through those, you know, miles back there and a little bit of chicken broth and a little bit of goo and a little bit of sugar. Um, when we came out, you know, between that and, and the crowd of our friends waiting for us, that really gave us the boost we needed, um, just to get to that finishing line and to, and to finish what we had sought out to do so many years ago. Cole, how did you work through that moment? Uh, yeah, so, um, it, it, the rain came out of nowhere and, um, my, my shoulder and my, my back started to crap really bad and, um, we forgot one of, one of my, that supports me, so um, I really fell out of it for a second. And um, like Brett said, being in the energy lab, 
it got quite hot, and then the rain, it got cold. Um, so it was all kind of emotions I felt, but I really um, just told myself that, that, you know, we can do this, I can do this, and um, um, just keep fighting and focus on one step at a time for bread and um, just focus on cone to cone. Mm. Um, so that's what we did. And um, But looking back, like Brett said, that was probably one of the hardest moments of my uh, triathlon career. That's partly why we do the sport, isn't it? Is to see who we yeah. are in that moment. You know, can we yeah. can we can we survive that moment? And it seems like you obviously did. Yeah. What what was what was it like finishing crossing the finish line? <laughs> well, this is where we might differ a little bit. Um, it was the fastest finishing line that that I that I could remember. But our coach. Um, just hold us because he was the first one to greet us uh, before we hit the red carpet. And he told both of us to enjoy the moment. And normally uh, we stop and we say hello to family and friends on the red carpet. But this was a different red carpet. This red carpet was for me and Brett, for all the hard work um, that we have done together to get to this point. Um, so we get braced um, to the finish line. And um, I've, n- I've never been able to feel a red carpet under my own feet. Um, but I felt the vibrations. Um, and it got really soft. And it just felt, it felt right. And um, when we go across, when we get to the, finish your line and you go on that little incline mm. and you hear my cry we say you are iron man um that that's the best feeling in the world mm. and to do it with somebody that you love it someone that you care about um make that finish your line um just that sweeter mm. and for you Brent. Yeah, I mean, so I thought we slowed down. Kyle said we didn't, um, but perhaps that was my fatigue. Um, but no, Kyle's right. I mean, like everyone we've done, I, f- I felt like, you know, we always kind of looked for people and high-fived them, and that was the way we soaked up the finishing experience. And, you know, I felt like this one was was for, you know, at least that little area was for us because once we came out of there, then we would be – I mean, we had, there was – between the group that I trained with here in Atlanta – uh, our family, our friends, the other people that we were racing with, all these, there was more than 70 people from Atlanta there, uh, somewhere around the finish. And rather than worry about all them, I just focused on my brother and I knew my wife and, and our parents were just behind the shoot. Um, and, uh, I, I, I started to kind of, all the emotions started to come up as I came up that ramp and, and kind of started to tear up a little bit. And that, got sucked away so quickly when I saw, you know, my wife and my parents and could just feel the crowd and the energy, you know, my, the hair on the back of my neck stands up just talking about it again. And I remember, you know, looking down at Kyle and his helmet had kind of fallen over his face. And, uh, um, so I, as I fixed it, I kind of grabbed his cheeks 
and started. And before I knew it, like my feet were off the ground and I was jumping up and down, um, celebrating with him. And it was just this, like, just, it's so hard to describe, you know, the emotion of, you know, because for me as kids, it was, you know, what Kyle had, what Kyle went through was painful to me. And I think, um, you know, Kyle's experience w- with it was different. My parents was, but for me, it just, it was this painful experience of like, how do I fix this? And I think what I've learned in this process with Kyle is that, you know, he was slowly fixing me, you know, he was making it okay to hurt. He was making it okay to be normal, just like everybody else. You know, we all hurt a little bit at something. And so sharing that celebration with him, grabbing his face and jumping up and down and, you know, I, it was the, it was the first time I got to look face to face at at you know my brother the Ironman world champion athlete, mm. and that's pretty cool because I didn't have to call him a wheelchair athlete that day. Yeah, pretty awesome. Just just uh, tell us a little bit about your foundation and and the book and uh, just anything else you want to mention around what you guys are doing. Uh, so we started the Coyote Day Gear uh, back in 2011 with the making of to support the table age of eight year old. Do a sport, um, do it, do it, sport. Just, just to give people hope, um, mm. to, to, to allow them to have the same opportunities that my parents gave to me and that Brett gave to me as well. So for them to find their own finish line, however that looks right to them. So the foundation has helped over a hundred families since. 2011, and um, we they, we do 15 races a year, um, and we are very proud of all of the athletes. And uh, one athlete told us where we were getting ready for corner. He said, "When you when you guys are in the World Championship, we're all in the World Championship." So that was so good to hear that. The, the Kyle Beach Foundation family, um, they were a part of that race too. Because mm-hmm. when, we, when we crossed the finish line, we, we showed um, ourselves and the world that anything is truly possible. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, and, and Kyle uh, underplays it a little bit. When we finished our first triathlon, you know, his immediate response was, um, how do we get other people to do this with us? So, wow. um you know, it's, it's actually been more than 130 families now, unique families. But last year it was 72 athletes across 250 finish lines. So that was pretty powerful to experience that. And, and the foundation actually, as a result of the fundraising we did for Kona, we just hired two people with disabilities um, to help support and work for the foundation. So that's pretty cool to be able to comp- uh, give, you know, create that opportunity um, and that's really kind of what the book is, is so, you know, we're now creating opportunities beyond the finish. Um, and so that's kind of where the title of the book came from is that, you know, everybody used to ask us after we did our first race, what's next. And we would always say Kona Kona's next. Yeah. Well, what's next after Kona? Well, I don't know that there has to be this next thing, mm-hmm. but I think it's just the theme of like, we're all moving beyond the finish together. And, um, we're really proud of the book. We started working on it two years ago, uh, or back in 2016, actually. Um, a, a gentleman named Todd Sivan uh, helped work on it with us. He wrote um, one of the Hoyt's last books. Um, very talented writer and really helped teach us how to become writers and helped us navigate this process. 
And we had decided back in 2016, once he started teaching us, that it was going to take a long time to write this book. And so that we better get started so that when Kona happened, when that would come, when that day would come, that we would only have one chapter left to write. Um, so we finished the book uh, this past December. And uh, uh, it's available for pre-order now, and uh, it starts shipping next month. So really exciting stuff for us and uh, something that we're both really proud of. We didn't argue too much during the writing process either. <laughs> um, the thing, I, you know, like I, obviously you guys, are, it's an inspiration, you know. It, it, I, there's lots to love about your story. Um, I also love that you care about being an athlete, you know, like it's, you know, you're, you guys want to be the best athlete you can be as well, not just be an inspiration. Um, but also it's that thing of, often the most rewarding thing is seeing the impact we can have upon others and you know you, you guys have a platform where you are doing such an amazing work to actually help others to discover some of the lessons you've learned on your journey and it's uh it's just amazing stuff um the book is called beyond the finish uh you can get it amazon where else, just anywhere you can get books is basically where you can get it or is it just amazon for the next uh few weeks here in may and then yes uh it should be available uh, anywhere you can get books uh, come june of this year Okay, check it out. Thank you so much for your time today, boys. Um, we'll, we'll get you back on again sometime in the future. Just love your work, bloody legends, and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. What uh, Will you be at any races this year? Will we be able to meet you in person? Probably not. We're going to Kona next year. But okay. If you're in Kona next year, we'll, we'll come and we'll do an interview with you there as well. Okay, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for your time, boys. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, inspirational stuff, man. Love those stories. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh my! Oh, just unbelievable. Okay, John, you 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 caught up with Langer, and you said it was great quality. <laughs> so the, I caught up with Patrick Langer. He was at Tanya Pora, and as you're going to hear, he loved Tanya Pora, and it certainly helped him because he then went off and a few weeks ago won the Vietnam seventy point three, which was the Asia Pacific Championships. Uh, there was a good field there. You had guys like Mike Phillips, you had Crowey, uh, and he went out there and laid it down on the run and uh, showed that he's in good shape for this time of the season. So he spent some time with Tanya Pora. So thanks for them for supporting the show and supporting him. Um, apologies, the quality's crap. I think he was at a cafe and I just thought I've only got 15 minutes here I'm just going to have to persevere with this yep. and um, and so you're going to hear what he's up to this season and tried to ask a few of those questions that some of you listeners ask you know what it's like when you're the Kona champ and you're getting your butt kicked at, uh, at you know Ironman Frankfurt and uh, so you, here comes Patrick uh, and yeah apologies about the, the, the audio quality okay you had one job John you one, one job, job. <laughs> I cocked it up <laughs> here we go Okay, guys, uh, on this week's show, we've got Patrick Langer, the two-time multiple record-setting Kona winner, uh, and he's reporting in from the fantastic Tanya Pora. So welcome to the show, Patrick, and uh, tell us what you're doing in Tanya Pora. Uh, hey, um, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, of course, I'm uh, training in Tanya Pora. Uh, an awesome place uh, to, to spend time for training and uh, focus on uh, the build-up for the upcoming races. Enjoy some uh, great food and uh, warm weather. Uh, today it's actually a little bit cloudy and uh, some uh, rain here and there. But uh, yeah, all in all, it's hot, it's humid, it's uh, actually close to Kona uh, weather conditions. So yeah, it's, it's great for, for build-up. So, is it your first time at Taniapora, and um, if is it what you expected? Yeah, it is my first time. Um, 
And yeah, actually, it did uh, hit my expectations pretty, pretty, uh, pretty much uh, on point. Um, yeah, what can I say? It's uh, it, it's great writing, actually. Um, so outside outside the hotel uh, cosmos, it's uh, it's pretty cool that uh, the Thai people once you get into their let's say driving style. Uh, uh, they're really, uh, yeah, really careful. They, they, uh, um, yeah, they, they are just, uh, they, they look, they look after the, uh, the bike riders. And if you, if you know some routes around uh, to the ocean, uh, it's, it's just amazing for riding. And um, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's just, yeah, a great time. Yeah. So, um, what, what's your plan for the year? Obviously, you'll be peaking for Kona, but what? Give us the the rundown of, of what your year is looking like. Yeah, my year will uh, kick off uh, or kicked already off with half marathon in, in Berlin. Um, I was uh, yeah kind of happy with uh, with my performance there. It's one of the biggest half marathon in the world, and uh, my first race in in Adidas shoes. And um, yeah, I said I want to, to run sub uh, 70 minutes, and I achieved that. Um, was a little was, <laughs> was a little sick uh, before the race for, for two weeks. Uh, couldn't train properly, so I was really happy with that. And um, now the first race is just around the corner. Just uh, six more days until my first 7.2, which will happen in Da Nang in Vietnam and uh, yeah I always love to uh, race in Asia uh, I did so in 2016 actually in the Philippines and uh, Subic Bay um, and I lost uh, against uh, big Broy Alexander <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah it's gonna be fun to race against uh, him uh, this year again and uh, maybe we can uh, I can turn around to result a little bit for me. So, um, yeah, and then all eyes on Frankfurt, uh, the big race in Europe, European Championships, uh, my hometown race, uh, which I never won before, and uh, definitely I'm aiming for a, a good result. And um, I hope to improve by last year's third race, and I think it's going to be a great battle. Then I will head uh, to training camp, St. Moritz altitude. From there to Nice, 7.3 worlds. Um, short travel, so I decided to do it. Uh, the last two years are just too much travel for me for so the build up for Kona. And then, yeah, obviously the biggest race of the year. And my main focus uh, is, uh, of course, uh, the race in Kona. So and for you, um when you, if you don't win outside of Kona, you know, so you've had um, some good performances, at lots of races, um, you haven't won Frankfurt or anything like that. How hard is it for you um, on your confidence when you're not winning Frankfurt or, or other races during the year? Is it just you're 100% focused on Kona or, you know, how do you feel when you get beaten? I mean, I... Um I won Ironman Texas, for example, so uh, 
I know that I'm able to, to win also outside of, of Kona. And um, yeah, of course, uh, it's, uh, um, I, get, I get paid for winning races and I, I want to win every race I, I enter. But uh, yeah, I, I, I learned to, to stay calm and um, to, to focus on, on my major uh, strengths and this is obviously Kona and I'm really yeah, lucky that, uh, that my body is, uh, is able to cope with the Kona conditions uh, yeah, so well and uh, I'm just, I, yeah, it's, it's, I think the, 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 the hardest task for me is not to get distracted from this um, positiveness that Kona is actually uh, my best race when I get beaten in Frankfurt, for example. But, um, yeah. So, um, in terms of, you know, um, we had a few questions from some listeners. You know, you, you talked before about you've had a good day, good day training. You know, for you, when you want to go out there and if you're, you don't feel like training, you know, um, what is it that you do to actually get yourself out the door to make sure that you're doing the training. So I guess the what they want to know is how do you deal with the bad days? Yeah, yeah the, the first and most important uh, thing is that you have to know what you're doing. For. Um, I think that's that's the major, uh, yeah, major thing that, that stands above everything else. Yeah, for me, uh, it was obviously winning winning the big race in, in Kona uh, someday, and I had to renew my uh, uh, my, my actual reason for, for doing the sport. Uh, but there's so much there's so much work on. Um, and, um, yeah, so when I have a bad day, just uh, yeah, focus. Um, on what what I want to achieve and uh, also uh, what sport or what what what, what I can uh, do with the sport uh, uh, in society wise. You know, it's so so great for me to see that I am able to inspire. Um, children to do sport, and that's also what we want to uh, say with our hashtag be the record breaker. We just want to inspire other people beating their own records, whatever that is. If you want to lose 50 kilos or whatever, it is, it is your record. That is my, uh, my, uh, my hashtag is saying this. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, great to. Inspiring, also be inspired. Fantastic. Um, we had a question from Jason. He was asking, "What are your favorite specific swim, bike, and run sessions when you're in the final part of your build-up for Kona?" So maybe give us one one of your key bike workouts, one key run workout, and one key swim workout that, that you, you know you need to do well to give you the confidence that you're in good shape? Mm. Uh, in the swim, um, actually, 
the closer it gets to the race, the shorter the swim sets uh, will be. Um, but I really like to do uh, 12, 15 times 100 as a, as a shape up with uh, actually um, yeah, a short break in between. So on a, on a uh, maybe a 130 um, uh, beat, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know when I can do uh, one one oh six or one oh seven per hundred uh, per hundred meter on a long course and leaving on one thirty or one twenty five then yeah then I know it's gonna be hard to, to drop me in any race, so uh, that that is definitely my confidence booster. Um on the bike. Um, actually, the classic real time 10 minutes um, in, in combination with the heart rate. And I see that I'm able to, uh, to push uh, 300 watts. It's uh, kind of a magic number for me for, for 10 minutes. And uh, it feels kind of easy. So the heart rate is in the 150s and uh, breathing feels easy. Um, that's, that's also my confidence booster for, for the bike ride. And in the runs, it's actually not that much of an interval. So in the, in the, in the runs, it's definitely the long runs that boosts my confidence because I start out in the early season doing my two-hour um, two runs. And um, uh, yeah, I start somewhere around... 420, 415 ish per K pace, and um, at the same heart rate, I see improvement uh, almost every week or every two weeks when I do my my long run, and I just see the time is, uh, is falling down. And, uh, so, in best case scenario, I'm able to run a 250 or 245 on this long run uh, with a with a good and, and nice and low heart rate, and that's uh, definitely the point where I know that I'm race ready. Fantastic. Um, couple of final questions. Lots of people wanted to know when is the wedding? <laughs> yeah, we will. Uh, we will have it in uh, in summer, definitely. So we we are looking for a uh, for a fixed date yet. But uh, we will. We decided to have it uh, in a small uh, surrounding, so just family and friends um, first for the for the signature day, and then we will have a big party uh, in 2020. So uh, yeah, cool. lots of plans, lots of plans, but not, and so many great ideas and. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the, 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 the most important day is the, the not, what is the most important day, but the signature day is uh, in in this summer somewhere in Frankfurt. Great. Um, two two final questions. One, um, 
lots of people were asking about the about Kona last year. You had a fantastic race, new course record, but people are still asking, and I don't know why, about Andreas Dreitz and when you were riding with him. So what's your response when people ask if you were riding with Dreitz and if he was working for you? Because lots of people are asking. So what what's your response? Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand, um, especially as we we both grab the same jersey. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it was not uh, in any way team tactic. That's uh, what I can say for sure, because normally I swim uh, two to three minutes faster than Andy is doing. So uh, we did not plan to, to see us uh, that early race and uh, as he was passing me he definitely was putting down the hammer and had to really uh, hang in there to to uh, to be even able to 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 follow him so he definitely wanted to, uh, to ride away um, but I was strong enough to, to keep up with him and uh, as soon as we hit the, the first group um, I never see Andy uh, again because then my focus switches to to other uh, stronger athletes, as you can say, stronger than Andy is a super strong athlete. So my my focus switched more to uh, keep an eye on Gomez and uh, To, for example. Um, and if if Andy would have written away. Uh, at 100k, I just let him ride away because uh, I have the confidence that I will run uh, much faster. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the true story, and um, so it was not planned at all. Awesome. Oh, have a fantastic uh, time for the rest of your time in Tanyapura, and we look forward to seeing you uh, rumbling in Kona again this year. Thank you. Thanks, and uh, thanks for the questions. Awesome. Thanks for your time. He is he is an enigma, isn't he? He is the person who we don't want to pick, but he's proven himself twice in a row, and before that he, he got second, didn't he? So, and, and he's not that out-there character. Not that Frodo or anybody's an out-there character, but they've just got um, just different, yeah, different, different sort of presence, and and they've done lots of other things. And you know, When you think about the, the athletes we talk about a lot, you know, Frodo, he's done lots of different things in terms of winning races. Um, Langer, you know, he's winning races all over the show and he's got that presence on, on social media. Kim Lay is a bit of a character. You mean, Langer, you mean um, Sanders. Sanders, sorry, yeah. Sanders. Uh, and they've all got their thing. All Langer's done, not all. Yeah. All he has done is won Kona like a, a couple of times. Yeah, in a row, which, what, how many people have done that in the history of the sport? As well as setting, the, 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 and, and he got third the, the year before as well. With the world, with, and he the run course record that day. Love it. I, I, I just love the way that he runs. Love the way that he's winning, but he hasn't done anything else. But I'm looking forward to seeing if he can, and, and I hope he can because that will that will cement him as a as a true legend. But God speak to him in terms of Kona. If you just keep cranking it out, who gives a shit about the rest of the year? Yeah, definitely. I love it. The guy is a 
beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jombo, let's wrap it up. We're gonna we're, we're moving on. So let's talk about our patrons. We've got Richard Stinger Ray. We got that's a good one. <laughs> that is a bloody good one. Duncan Danger Den- Penfold and Sean the Porno Barnes. Uh, we you know I was telling him he made pizzas. Joe copied his pizza formula. Good pizza, yep. John. Nice. Porno's pizzas. I tell you, there's a business in it. Yeah. <laughs> Porno's pizzas, all types of flavours. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you want to get become a patron, go to www.iontalk.me and you can become a patron too, get a cool nickname and just support the boys and what we do. Once you go to the website, you'll see Patreon page and there's different levels and you just support us and what we do. John, if you also want to get the show emailed to you, go to www.iontalk.me. Down the bottom of the front page, you can add your details in and I, each time I release the show, I just email that out to you. Coaching from John at CoachJohnNewson.com. You can check out my podcast at BevanJamesIles.com. Also, other cool content like Age Group of the Week, Website of the Week, other feedback, email IamTalkPodcast at gmail.com. John, what's your goss? What's my goss? Loving my time in Kona. Nice to have some warmth back in the, the body. And uh, He's saying this right now as he's sitting looking pretty cold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's good times. Uh, so tomorrow we're off to Manalani. So the first place we stay at, and we it's stay. Oh, not the not the Manalani. It's not it's not the Manalani oh. anymore. It's uh, the Auberge, and I think they've ratcheted their prices up. So oh. we we stayed right down the Kehoe end of Kona um, for the first uh, sort of four to five days of the camp. So right down the far end of Ali Drive. So it's about uh, ten to twelve k's into into the pier. Um, and t- today is moving day, and we go to Manalani, and the places we stay at there are really big condos, like four bedroom plenty of space the first place we stayed are nice but they're smaller they've got a nice ocean view yep. but down in Marley you just got a bit more space and the training dials back a bit it's just all a bit more relaxing uh, so it's time to start zoning into to race mode good time Bevan right. uh, you're still in Christchurch it's been happening. You got the Christchurch Marathon coming up this weekend. Oh, I have two actually. I'm doing the voice work there. That would be good. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I think? John, I was watching. Did you watch the news last night? Uh, we, we 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 selectively watch the news. So do we. Yeah. Kind of fast that forward. Fast forward button yep. gets a bit of a workover. How much do you reckon you watch? How many minutes? And so the news is an, is an hour, but take out the ads, probably so 40, 40, minutes. 40 minutes. I'd be saying 10. Oh. 10 to maybe, no, 15. Oh, we're a good 20. No, you watch more than that because sports eight. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's, I'd it's say various. we I'd say we watch twenty to thirty depending well, you, on the you, night. You're fast forwarding the wars, basically, aren't you? Yeah, we do fast forward wars um, because it's the same every night. As sad as it is, but that's that's what happens. Yep. Uh, generally, fast forward most of the crime. Uh, I like a bit of crime. Yeah, most <laughs> of the crime, and so then it just it just depends whether I'm interested in the politics. It's just such selective. View- it's such selective viewing. It's not good for you that you can fast forward it because I should be watching the rest. But generally, like the health stories and things like that. So, yeah. how much do you think about twenty? Do you? I would do twenty to thirty, mm. depending on the night. Thirty max. You watch the weather four times in no, New Zealand. No, we don't watch the weather. No, they've, they've, they've cut the middle weather out. <laughs> yeah. So we've, the, the Kiwis are fascinated by weather. So it starts, our, our one-hour news show starts with the weather every night. You get an update, uh, or you, you used to get an update at halfway. Yep. Uh, with, a, with a pretty a comprehensive long update, long update too. And then you get five minutes of weather at the end of the show. Yeah. So far out. Yep. So the, get the internet, but did you people. watch the piece? did you watch the piece last night on asthma? Yes. That blew my mind away because what's it that I've discovered? So what it's discovered is basically you have two inhalers. This is a pretty comprehensive uh, study that they did. Yeah, and they've discovered, so it's kind of a preventative and then there's one that you take if you're kind of feeling your symptoms. Hmm. And they've had these for years. Yep, and yep. some people like them, some people get sort of got that beigey, purpley coloured one and then your, your blue one. So yeah. the preventer and your one you take when you've, you've got asthma. So they did this study 
And they've, they've figured out that if you put them both together, massive better results. But you only need to have half of them. So you have half as much and it's more effective. And it's one inhaler. Joe and I both turned to each other and said, why has nobody thought of that before? Well, I think the interesting thing is you only need half the dosage for the yeah, effectiveness but, but, but to why, be... Why, why, that's, like, that's 101. I want to try this together. Like, mm. I, was, I was well impressed. and good on them. Mm. Yeah. But it wasn't like you invented a new drug. Mm. I, was, I was a bit curious. We were a bit like... Interested to see where it goes because the drug companies are going to be going, shit, that's hard. We, we only yeah, need to produce half. That's the, that's the challenge is now going, you're only, only giving out half the drugs. Oh, drug companies, John. Don't get you started. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's pretty much it. So that's it. Yeah, and I'm doing, I'm crushing I'll be in Bali next week, John. I'll be back. I'll be hot like you are right now. Great. Why it's <laughs> hot, Bevan? So hot right now. Let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kick car. car.